morning. Good morning, church. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, no matter what you're going through, I hope that you hear this today, that God is a warrior, that God fights for you. Happy Father's Day. We are so glad, dads, that you're here. You led your families here this morning. We're just so excited about you being here to worship with us. And, you know, one of the things that I love is that at Mother's Day, we might give the ladies a nice corsage, a nice flower, you know, something like that, maybe a little book, a cute little book that they can keep, you know, it's just real, real motherly. And uh, for men, what do we do? We give you bacon, right? We bless you with bacon. If you didn't get your free burrito, go get it afterwards. Ask for double bacon, whatever. We just want to bless you with bacon. It may not, it may not lend itself to the healthy church thing we've been talking about, but it makes for a happy church, amen, when men have the bacon they need. But uh, we're really excited about you being here today as we continue in this series called Healthy Church. My dad was in the first service. We have three services, and my dad was in the first service, and so I got to tell him Happy Father's Day. But something that I got to also just express to him that I just want you to hear is this. I got to thank my dad in the first service this morning um, just because he's, he's, no doubt, he's an awesome dad in a lot of different ways. But I got to thank my dad this morning because when my dad decided to follow Jesus Christ, and that happened in his life, and I was about uh, somewhere between 8 and 10 years old whenever this happened. When my dad decided to follow Jesus Christ, can I tell you something? That our whole family changed. The direction of our family changed when my dad said, I'm, I'm laying my life down, I'm taking up my cross, I'm following Jesus. And I got to tell him that today, and, and that when his life changed, my life changed. And that is a legacy that God entrusted uh, to him that has been entrusted to me that I pass along to my kids. And I got to thinking this week just even about the impact of my dad following Jesus, what that meant in my life. I got to thinking that I don't even know if Eagles View Church would be here because I don't know where I would be in my life if my dad hadn't decided to follow Jesus. I don't know if I would have ever really decided to follow Jesus. Whenever he followed Jesus, it showed me that a man can love God. It showed me that a real man loves Jesus. If you don't know my dad, he's, he's kind of this gruff guy or whatever. But it showed me this, that a real man could love Christ. And I saw that in him and I, I wanted that in him. And, I've, uh, and, and he would be the first to say that he's not perfect in modeling that. We don't expect our men to be perfect in modeling that. But as we're in this series called Healthy Church... Um, we've been looking at what makes up a vibrant church. What, what is it that makes a, a, a church before God, makes God smile? It makes God see that. And, 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 you know, and, and when we talk about that, we want to be biblical. There's no doubt about that. And we've looked at leadership. We've talked about a church that doesn't focus inward and that is, has a mission and that understands that mission and doesn't kind of get caught up in just, just only being about itself. We talked about that last week. Let me, just, let me just start off this morning just by giving you the premise up front. And if you're taking some notes, we fully embrace this as a church. We fully believe this as a church, that healthy churches are churches where biblical manhood is celebrated, it is encouraged, and it not just that they have a knowledge of what it is, but that it's lived out. Amen? That healthy churches are these churches that are that, that celebrate biblical manhood. They celebrate that. They encourage that. It's not only encouraged by the leadership, but it's encouraged. Biblical manhood is encouraged by, I would even say this, the women within our congregation. That, that is encouraged in the men. 
and, 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 and that it is lived out by those men. And I've done this extensive research and, and I've taken a lot of time to really think deeply about this and I've come to this conclusion and this is a profound concept that I want you to catch up front, okay? Before, from what I've gathered from all of my intense studies on this particular subject, and here is the thing that I have concluded, and if you're taking notes, this may be a good thing to write down, okay? And this is profound. I mean, I'm telling you, it's profound, and here's what it is. Men don't really make very good women, okay? And women don't make very good men, amen? We were made to be different, We were made to celebrate these differences. God in His complete wisdom and in His understanding, He has created us to be different. He's made us to be different and and there's nothing wrong with us being different. There's nothing wrong with us celebrating those differences and and embracing those differences. And, And so with that in mind and understanding that God has made us to be different and there are different things that inspire us. There are different ways that we are made up, not only biologically, but but emotionally as well. That I want you to know that our church firmly embraces this, that biblical manhood, whenever it is understood and it is lived out, makes for a healthy church. Whenever men are living that out in their lives and in their families and families are healthy, when that's lived out, it makes for healthy churches when men are being who God has made them to be. When men are being encouraged by the women that are in their life to live that kind of biblical manhood out. I like what uh, author Patrick Morley said. He's a, uh, he wrote a, a book. We've actually given this book away to, to the men in our church before. But Patrick Morley uh, wrote a book called Man in the Mirror. Now, he did not co-write that with Michael Jackson. Uh, Jackson. I'm just letting you know, okay? But he wrote a book called Man in the Mirror. And this is what he said. He was speaking to a group of churches that were gathering together and they were collaborating. And these churches were trying to figure out how they could best reach out into their communities. How are they going to reach people with the gospel message of Christ? And Morley was addressing them, and this is what he said. He said, can you imagine any way of getting a society right without getting the church right? And so I love that because there's this idea of a healthy church. There's an idea of, of a healthy church, and that's what we're talking about this summer. And then he goes on and he says, can you imagine any way of getting the church right without getting the family right? So he speaks of family health here. And then he says, can you imagine getting the family right without getting marriages right? Can marriages be right, he says, without men being right? And then he goes on and he says, it really is about the men. Now, I would just be the first one, and I think he would even be someone to say this. This isn't saying that if something goes wrong in a marriage or in a family, that it's all the man's fault. That's not, that's not what's being said. That's not his premise in the book that he has. Uh, In fact, you can't control other people, but what he is all about is being sure that we as men are being everything that God has made us to be. And we do have control over that, that we are being everything that God is leading us to to be. And the idea that that I think that he is suggesting and that I I would even echo that to our church today, I really firmly believe this. I know that Pastor Randy feels this way. Your leadership feels this way, is that as the men often go in a church, so, or in a church, so goes the church. 
as the men go within the church, so goes that particular church. And, and now with that idea being expressed, let me just say that today's talk is not about about uh, any either of the sexes being superior one over the other, women over men, men over women. We know this, and we celebrate biblical womanhood as well. We celebrate this, that EBC would not be where it is today were it not for the women of our church. Can I get an amen, men? Oh, that wasn't good enough. Can I get an amen, men? You better amen or you're going to be in trouble later, okay? And so uh, we are blessed with incredible women here at EBC. So this is not about about men being superior. It's not about women being superior. In fact, as Scripture tells us in Galatians, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. There's neither male nor, nor female nor slave nor free man or whatever. What I really want to approach today with is an understanding of what is called a complementarian viewpoint. Complementarianism, biblical complementarianism is something that we espouse. And, and the idea is this, is that God has created both men and women with more than just biological differences. God has created, created us with, with differences that are to be embraced, that are to be celebrated, that we are to serve in different kinds of roles because God has made us up differently. And I fully believe this, that when it comes to human sexuality, that the greatest display of God's glory and the greatest joy that is found in human relationships, the greatest fruitfulness that you will find in ministry or fruitfulness that you will find within a particular church, in our churches, comes about whenever the deep differences between men and women are actually embraced and they are celebrated as we complement one another. Now, the word complement, complementarianism, comes from that word complement. It's not the, the word with the I in it where we speak nice things to each other, although that's a nice thing to do as well. But it's where we complement each other. The idea is the word complete. It's where we complement one another, where we fill in the gaps for one another because we each have weaknesses in our different roles. And so they complement and they beautify each other completely. And God is most glorified whenever that happens. It's not about superiority for either one of the sexes. We serve in different roles. More than anything, what we want to do here at EVC is we want to exhort the men of our church to live out biblical manhood. We want to exhort that. We don't want men walking away today on Father's Day. A lot of men, uh, many times, it can turn into kind of a beat-down message where it's like, you're not being everything that you're supposed to be, you know, and we kind of always celebrate the women on Mother's Day, and sometimes the men get beat up a little bit. That's not in any way what we want to do today. What I know for men is that men want to be challenged, though. Men desire to be challenged and to be encouraged and, and to, to be celebrated that they are made in a certain kind of way. So, ladies, I encourage you to celebrate, uh, celebrate biblical manhood that's found within your man. I fully believe this, that where you find spiritually healthy men, men who are pursuing God, you will find a healthy church. You will find a community that is being impacted. So, men, today, this is... For you to encourage you, it's, it's to challenge you, it's to, it's to awaken within you something that maybe you've not known about yourself, this biblical manhood that God calls you to. And, and so when we speak of biblical manhood, there's all kinds of questions that that raises. The main question is, what is it? 
What does it look like? For some of us, we don't really even know what that looks like. And there are all kinds of things that could be said about biblical manhood. We could do an entire series and spend months on exploring biblical manhood. But let's cut to the chase today. And let's say this, that biblical manhood looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. Let's simplify that. It looks like Christ. That's our goal. Men, we are called to emulate Jesus Christ. We're called to to, uh, mirror Christ to our families around us. And, And in many cases, this becomes a huge disconnect for a lot of us as men. Because I think in some cases, and I think the church has had a part in this, that we oftentimes, we overlook the masculine characteristics of Christ. And they're not really talked about. They're not celebrated a lot. And so as men, and because we as men and women are made up differently, and we'll continue to say that, we are often inspired differently because we're made up and we're wired up in a different kind of way. I mean, I'll illustrate it in a couple of ways, okay, and how we are made up so differently. All right, here's how I'll illustrate it. There are chick flicks, right? And then there are movies, right? Can I get an amen? Okay, there are chick flicks and then there are movies. And in fact, let's let's just see, men, if you are inspired by this. Watch this, okay? were just moved. You were touched as you're wiping the tears away from your eyes. Are there any men out there? You better not raise your hand or we will beat you with a slab of bacon. All right. Now you're not going to be inspired by those kinds of movies, but, but maybe something like this might inspire you from time to time. Okay. Watch this. Spend time with your family? Sure I do. Look. Unless a man that doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. But I was bad to the bone. Bad to the bone. Bad to the bone. Bad to the bone. Oh, I met you I'll break a thousand more, baby Before I am through I want to be yours, pretty baby Yours and yours alone Straight up Hey, honey 
me a huckleberry. Why, Johnny Ringo? Somebody just walked over your grave. I have an army. We have a hope. from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Where are you going? I'm going to pick a fight. thinking the testosterone level in this room may be unusually high right now, okay? Sometimes when you walk out of a movie like this, am I the only one? You're hoping somebody bumps into you. You're like, I hope you bump into me. Don't you even look at me like that. Some of our men are going to be bumping into each other out in the hallways. We don't need any of that, okay? That's not what we're saying. But, uh, and I almost felt like it was wrong watching the bacon kind of like that. I don't know. That felt a little wrong, but... Uh, but you know we're different. We are. We're just. We're just different. And and the one thing, as I said, there's so many different aspects of biblical manhood we could talk about. There's so many different things, and there's just one that I really just want to touch on for a few moments today. And and it's something that I think that a lot of times in churches we have not reinforced. In some cases, I think that we have we've overlooked certain characteristics of Jesus. I think in some cases men disconnect because maybe it could be related to some of the artwork that they see whenever they see images of Jesus that kind of depict Christ as this feminine-looking character. And many men have bought into the lie that maybe that's what biblical manhood looks like or that being like Jesus equates to, and many men think this way, weakness. And it's just a wrong way of thinking. It's a biblical lie that, that the enemy, uh, or, or a lie that's not biblical, that the enemy has, has kind of p- placed out there that a lot of people have bought into. Or some men feel like if they are going to follow God, then there's this abdication of their masculinity that must happen. And so I want to just let you know that, that that doesn't hold up biblically. 
that it doesn't hold up biblically, that the, the, the Bible actually celebrates masculinity and that God has made our men to be in that, in that manner. I really had this epiphany spiritually a few years ago whenever I came across a book, and some of you have read this book. Some of you like the book. Some of you don't like the book. That's not the point. But there was something that, that God spoke to me about in the book. It's a book called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And again, I know I don't agree with every single thing in the book, but there was certainly something that was awakened within me that made me recognize the fact that, that God has called me certainly to live for Him, but that does not equate to weakness. And that, that doesn't mean that I have to forfeit the masculinity that God has made me with. That God is actually, and what I really was, a, was awakened to is that God has actually created me as a man with the heart of a warrior. And that's really the premise of the book. Is that you've been given this, this warrior spirit that God has created within you. And, and you know, I, I just, uh, God has put this in, inside of us, this righteous desire to stand up and fight for things that are just. To stand up and fight against things that are not right. Against things that are true. God wants us to fight for those things. Those things that are righteous. And I, I believe that God has given us as men that heart of a warrior. And now, let me just say, because I know the criticism of that would be to say, well, does that mean that if you're a warrior, that that, that means that, uh, that you're an uncivilized or distant or hardened or violent or abusive or disengaged emotionally, or this uneducated brute. And that's not what a heart of a warrior is. And so that's also something that I think that the enemy has figured out on how to twist in men when they don't understand who they're supposed to be and what they've been called to be. And, and what it means is that God has given you the desire to stand up and fight for things that are true and to fight for things that are right. Men, you have been given the heart of a warrior because you have been created in the image of God. And I want to tell you something. God is the heart of a warrior. We sang about it just a few moments ago. And a lot of times I don't even think that we uh, engage sometimes with the words that we're singing. But we said these words, praise the Lord, our mighty, what did we say? Our mighty warrior. Praise the Lord, our mighty warrior. So this idea of God being this warrior, does that hold up biblically? Well, in Exodus chapter 15, we're not going to be in one passage today. I'm going to be skipping around in some different areas. Uh, but in Exodus chapter 15, the nation of Israel has been rescued by God from the Egyptians. God worked through Moses and he delivers them out of 400 years of bondage and oppression and, and slavery and, and just this, all of this uh, injustice that was happening. God miraculously, as you know the story, as they fled into the wilderness, God miraculously parts the Red Sea. God fights for Israel. And he delivers them from the oppression. And after this great deliverance that God had worked through Moses and God was working through Aaron and, and many of the other leaders as God would work through men like Joshua and Caleb and all of these great warrior leaders, God worked with them. They had to face their fears and allow God to work through them and be the men that God called them to be. And so they come through this this, this, this seemingly impossible situation where God rescues them. He closes the Red Sea on the Egyptians. And the Israelites 
are left in awe of who God is and what God has done. Moses writes a song and they sing this song. So men, we also see that singing unto God in worship is a masculine thing. It's a manly thing. And we see this in Exodus chapter 15. We see, and I got to tell you that, that there are these amazing qualities of God like his mercy that I have been a recipient of that I'm so grateful for. Like his kindness and his compassion and that he is loving. And I'm so thankful for these attributes because I've been a recipient of those in my life. And we all have been and we all want to be a recipient of that. But there are other aspects of God's attributes that I think are overlooked. And we see this in Exodus 15 where, where Moses writes this song and he says in verse 3. And I want to ask you to read it with me out loud. It's a short verse. But say it with me out loud. What does it say about our Lord? The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Men, we're made in the image of God. God's made us with the heart of a warrior. And if biblical manhood looks like Jesus and we're to emulate Jesus Christ, then, then what does Jesus look like? What do we find when we look at the life of Jesus Christ? That it should be a challenge to us as men to study the life of Christ, to see what Christ was like, to see how he interacted with people. And what do we find whenever we look at Jesus? We see, no doubt, that he is filled with great compassion. He was masculine, but he was filled with great compassion. He was filled with great kindness. We see that he was filled with grace. We see, obviously, these qualities that, that were demonstrated so clearly in the Scripture, in the different stories of Jesus, whenever we read about him. He was a true gentleman. Children felt comfortable coming around him. So we see this, that he wasn't, he wasn't so hardened that children couldn't come into his presence. In fact, he fought for the children when those who tried to keep the children away, he fought for the children to be able to come unto him. He was humble and he met people's needs. But but do you know other qualities that I see and that I desire to have in my own life when I study the life of Christ? I see other qualities in his life that I want as a husband. Qualities in his life that I want as a father. Do you know what I see whenever I study Jesus? I see that he stood up against things that were wrong. That Jesus had backbone, Right? When you look at his life, you see that he stood against things that were unjust. That he boldly stood up against hypocrisy whenever it would rear its ugly head. Jesus would stand up against that. And as a man, I'm inspired as I read about Jesus standing against corruption that they would find in the temple courts there. And in the very last week of his life, he would go in and he would see all the corruption and he would see that people were being oppressed spiritually. He would see that the poor were being cheated and in righteous indignation, what does Jesus do? He stands up for them and he turns over the tables of the money changers who were cheating people, who were preventing people from coming closer to God, who were taking advantage of the poor. And Jesus very forcefully drove them out. We see Jesus taking a stand even unto death against hypocrisy and the religious leaders as they oppress the people with legalism and keeping the people from engaging the real qualities of God. Jesus spoke up. Jesus had backbone. Jesus took action against things like that. Jesus took up for the outcast. You would see Jesus when no one else would stand up for somebody. Jesus would be the one who would stand for the downtrodden. Jesus would be the one who would stand up for the one who couldn't defend themselves. Why? Because he has the heart of a warrior. 
And I want to be like that. Men, I know it's within you that you want to be like that. That we see that and we are inspired by that. Jesus is a warrior. Let me just show you in Scripture just an, an image that God gave John as he wrote in Revelation 19. I want you to see this truth in verse 11. Chapter 19, verse 11, it says this. And then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there, and its rider was named Faithful and True. This is speaking of Jesus Christ here. For he judges fairly, and he wages, what does it say? A righteous war. He wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, and we are dressed in that white linen because of his grace in our lives. They followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron rod. And he will release this fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title. And will you say it with me out loud? What does it say about him? He is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. You see, Jesus is a warrior. No doubt about this. And we are created in the image of God, which means that you have been created with the heart of a warrior. You've been given this heart. And uh, let me just say that uh, as a warrior, let me give you a couple takeaways from this. That as a warrior, you have an important cause to fight for. And a warrior is only as worthy as his cause. And you have a cause to fight for. I love the story of Nehemiah that we find in the Old Testament. If you want to look in your Bibles to chapter 4, if you know the story, you know that Nehemiah is given this great vision to rebuild the walls of his hometown that have been destroyed. Uh, and, and he has been given this vision to raise these walls back up and to lead this. And, and, and this cause has been given to him by God. And it's a cause that transcends his own life. And many enemies rose up against him. And they would try to thwart his plans and come against him. And they would try to intimidate him and intimidate the people that he was leading to rebuild these walls. And he realized that the cause was greater than his own life. And this is what he would say. He would say, stand up. He would say, stand strong. Look at what he says in verse 14 of chapter 4. Then as I looked over the situation, he says... I called together the nobles and the rest of the people. And I said to them this, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. And then what does he tell them to do? I want you to see this, men. And do what? And fight. He calls them to fight. To fight for your brothers. To fight for your sons. To fight for your daughters your wives, and then I love this, and fight for your homes. Fight for your homes. Nehemiah was calling them to take into consideration the greatness and the magnitude of their cause. He encouraged them to rise above the fear that they may be feeling as their enemies were intimidating and as they had had failures before. And he's saying, you've got you've to remember who your God is and then you've got to stand up and you've got to fight. You've got to fight for your 
your sons and your daughters and your brothers and your sisters and your wives, your homes, stand up and fight. What a cause. They realized that the cause went beyond themselves. He called them to fight for their families. The cause went beyond themselves. So funny how we guys are just suckers for certain movies. You know, I knew whenever we played that, that men would be like, you know, and that just kind of happens with us. And a great example would come from one of my all-time favorites would be Braveheart. And it just is. Every time it's on, everything else stops. And I just kind of mesmerized by it. And it's on a lot, okay? And uh, as I watched that, it, this incredible story of William Wallace, and you know that his father and his brother were killed in this warfare as they were standing up for their country. And at one point, he didn't want to fight. He just wanted, he said, just to kind of stay to himself, just kind of raise a family. And then what happened? We know that the enemy continued to come against them, and he could not keep from fighting because they brought him into the fight. They took his newly, his, his wife, his, his brand new wife, and you know that they murdered her. And they, they came against his country. They came against his countrymen. And all of these men who were in places of leadership, the nobles, if you've seen the movie, they were in these places of leadership. They were supposed to be leading the fight, but they wouldn't because they didn't want to risk and they had been bribed and they, they had much that had been given to them as they'd been bribed. They sold out their country. They sold out their manhood, I believe. They turned in their man card at that point, right, for a little bit of money. And they didn't want to give that up. And I remember one of the greatest scenes is William Wallace is sitting there with one of the nobles who, who should be the king and is going to be the next king. And he's telling him this. He's saying, if you will just lead them, we will follow you. If you'll just stand up and fight the way that you were made to, we will follow you. Men, I think so many times our families, they want us just to, to stand up and fight for the things that are right, and they will follow us. And they desire to see that within our hearts. I love, if you continue watching that movie, you know that, that you know at that point that the, that the guy doesn't stand up and fight, so Wallace fills in the gap, and he leads, and the men will, will follow him to death. And we see that he's finally apprehended, and he's being tortured at the end. And we see this, that he's, he's on, this, on this bench being tortured in front of all of these people. And if he'll just recant, if he'll just bow to the king, this evil King Longshanks, if he'll just do this, then, then they will spare him this torturous death and they'll make his death quick. And you're almost kind of hoping that for him that he does. But what does he do? They think that he's about to recant and he yells out, Freedom! just gives us goosebumps because he was unwilling, unwilling to compromise for a cause that transcends his own. And we're suckers for that kind of stuff because you're built with that same kind of, of, of heart, that warrior's heart, that warrior's spirit to fight for things. That's why we, we, we love movies like that. That's why I love watching anything that's World War II or something because, or just anything like that because, you know, especially a movie like The Longest Day because these guys were willing to go to their death to fight for what was right. 
We love this. And men, I want to suggest to you today that the greatest cause that we have, the greatest cause that you have is this, is being Jesus Christ to your wife if you are married and being Jesus Christ to your kids. That is the greatest cause. What cause could be greater than this? And extending the kingdom of God to your family. Extending the kingdom of God to people who are around you. God has created us with the heart of a warrior because we've been created in His image. And we see that God has that attribute. A warrior is only as worthy as His cause. I think a, a lot of times men have, who have not discovered this cause, a lot of times this, this warrior kind of spirit gets channeled in wrong directions. Sometimes this can turn a man, a man into being angry. And this can turn a man into being kind of mean-spirited. And this can turn a man into even being bored because we've not discovered that real cause that we have been created for. But when we discover what that cause is and it is channeled in the right direction, you better watch out. And that's what God has made you for. Your cause as a Christian man is to build into, to invest in the life of those that God has entrusted into your care. That's what God has, has given you this great cause. There can be no greater cause than that. And, and until there's something in a man's life truly that he is willing to die for, I really believe that that man is not really truly living. Until there's something in his life that he's willing to die for. Uh, we're always inspired by these stories where we see men will die for their cause. We're inspired by that. It charges us up. It fires us up. And, and, and I, was, I was running this past week and I was thinking about that and I was praying about this and I was asking God just to show me more about what He wants me to communicate to our church when it comes to being a healthy church, what He wants us to understand as men. I was hoping God would, would just really begin to speak into my life about more what biblical manhood really looks like and that I would capture that from God. And I was thinking about this. We may never ever as men here today be put in a position where we have to actually die physically for our cause. You, you very likely, because we live in America, at this point you still have freedom. You have freedom in your faith. You have freedom to lead in your families. You still have this. You may never. Now, others had to die so that you could be in a place to live this way, but you may never actually have to physically die for your family or physically die for your faith or physically die for your church. You may never be put in that place. I started thinking about that so there can be a disconnect for some of us. But, uh, but, it, but if a man is willing to die, I started thinking there's another cause that is just as worthy. There's another kind of death that Jesus calls us to. He calls us to this, and this is what biblical manhood really looks like because it looks like Jesus. Jesus calls me to a daily death to self. So I may never have to actually die physically, but I'm called to die to self on a regular basis, to die to self for my family. And i got to tell you, I almost wonder if that is not more difficult than dying physically, than choosing to die to self choosing to, to die to my flesh and my wants and my needs and my desires for the good of my family because I'm just telling you, I can be pretty selfish. When my flesh really kicks in, I can be, I can be pretty selfish. But I'm called to, to, to die to self. And so in essence, 
the greatest cause is serving my family. It's washing their feet as Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. It's leading them to be closer to Christ. It's fighting that constant fight in my flesh. But I got to tell you, that's a worthy fight. That is a worthy fight. It was a warrior named Joab who served under King David. And he said to the men who were about to go into battle, this was another great battle, and this is what he said. He said, be strong and let us fight bravely. And look at what he says. Let us fight bravely for our people and for the cities of our God. Let us fight bravely for our people in the cities of our God, not, not for ourselves. He says for our people. We're going to fight for the cities of our God, for the people of God. In other words, for our families, for the kingdom of God. Let's fight for a cause that's greater than ourselves, that transcends self. You see, here's the thing. It's not what you do. It's who you are. It's not what you do. It's what you become because you have the heart of a warrior, a cause to fight for. Now, a lot of times we get intimidated by this fight that we're in. And a lot of times, I'm just being honest, as as a man, sometimes I feel inadequate to lead. Sometimes I feel inadequate to lead my family. I feel inadequate to lead our church. I feel inadequate in a lot of ways. Sometimes, I'll be honest, I feel like I'm showing up to the gunfight with a pocket knife, right? You've heard that expression? But I want you to know that God has not equipped us with inferior weapons. So here's another takeaway for you. If you are fearful in this fact that you've been called to this fight, you need to know that you have powerful weapons to fight with. That God has given you these powerful weapons to fight with. I love the way the Bible describes these weapons that we are to fight this battle with. It's not the same kind of weapons that the world uses. It's a different kind of weaponry. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the flesh, but they have, and what does it say? They have divine power. It's something that goes beyond the worldly power. It's divine power, he says, to destroy strongholds. Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting against that, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. We are fighting, he says, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I have no doubt in my mind that if I were to tell you, men that there is somebody that is out there that is coming after your family and they are coming after your wife and they are coming after your kids and their purpose statement is to seek to destroy, to steal, and to kill. As we know that Jesus says that about our spiritual enemy. I have no doubt in my mind that if I were to tell you that there was a physical kind of enemy out there that was coming against you, coming against your family, you would probably not even let me finish what I'm saying today. You would go and do whatever it took to take that person out because you are a protector at heart. And you would stand up. But what I am convinced of, and we talked about this last summer, is that we are not keenly aware of the fact that there is a greater warfare that is happening for our families. Warfare for our marriages, warfare for our families, for our, for our children, and that you do have a spiritual enemy that despises you and would love nothing more than to destroy your family and to destroy our church and destroy our community. And you see, I think that whenever we actually capture that, 
what I think happens is that we get to a place where we don't want to play church anymore. We want to be the church. And we realize that we are called to stand and fight against that. Our enemy hates us and he hates why does he hate us so much? Because he hates anything that is close to the heart of God and there is nothing that matters more to God than you. And so our enemy seeks to destroy in our life and destroy, but many men passively will not get engaged in this fight. And, and we said, again, last summer in the series that Christianity is not a playground, it's a battle. It's a battleground that we are engaged in and if we really believe this, we won't want to play church, we'll want to be church. We'll want to be the church. So since the battle is real, you've got to know this, men, that you've not been given inferior weaponry. You've been given an armor that God has provided for you. Ephesians talks about it. We studied it last summer. You've been given the helmet of salvation. You've been given this breastplate of righteousness. You've been given the sword of the Spirit and the belt of truth and these combat boots, so to speak, that you are to stand firm and stand your ground, equipped and ready to spread the good news of Christ. You've been given a shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts of our enemy. And we lock arms and we fight together. And here's something else you've been given that I think often gets overlooked, and we're going to talk about it more in the coming weeks. We overlook this incredible and powerful weapon that we've been given that is called prayer. See, the strongest man in this room is not the man who can lift the most weights. It's the man who knows that he is completely dependent upon God. And he engages him in prayer. A lot of times we as men are intimidated by that. And what does that mean? We want to teach you more about that in the coming weeks because we want to see this place be a place of prayer because that makes for a healthy church. God has not given you inferior weapons. So I want to leave you with this today, and I, I fully believe, again, there's not a single man that wouldn't physically die for his family today. But here's what I want to ask you. Will you live for your family? Will you live for them? Will you live for your cause? Will you live for your faith? Will you live for your church? Are you willing to live for yours and in so doing choose to die to self? Because it's what God has called us to do. Some of you are engaged in an incredibly serious battle right now. For some of you, it is a battle with an addiction. You feel like you're losing that battle and you can never overcome this battle. For some of you, it may be that your marriage is falling apart and you may feel like giving up. For some of you, it may be something that's going on with your kids. For some of you, it could be something that's happening with work. But there is a battle that is before you. And let me tell you something. There's no option but to win. You've got to have that mentality that I will do whatever it takes to win. And not win for yourself, but win for the kingdom of God. We often think, well, what if I can't do this? What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't have what it takes? I want you to hear this, and we sang it earlier. I want you to know this, that as you begin to yield your life to God, can I tell you something? God fights your battles. Look at this last scripture right here. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 3. The battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. Chapter 20, verse 3. Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. That may be where some of us are, although we would never admit it. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. Now here's your reason. 
For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. You say, I want to lead my family. I just don't know how. Just be willing. Be willing and God begins to go with you in this. The the Lord goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. And then I want you just to say this with me out loud. To do what? To give you what? Victory. And He wants you to have that victory. He wants to fight through you. I want to ask you to pray with me right now if you'll just bow your heads. What is the battle that you are engaged in today? Give your battle a name. Is your marriage crumbling? Then draw your sword today and never surrender. Don't give up. Are your kids turning away from God? Don't just say, well, kids will be kids and give up on them. No, you get down on your knees in prayer and you fight like a man for them and you never give up. Some of you, your battle is what's going on in the area of finances and you feel like you're about to drown and you're ready to give up and you're beginning to get depressed and despondent. Do you quit? No, you don't ever quit. You begin to look up to God. and You begin to fight and you begin to scratch and you trust God to take care of you and you begin to, to turn that over to Him and God begins to fight that battle with you and for you. Some of you maybe are locked into some kind of sin or some kind of temptation that's been whipping your tail and you have quit and you've just said, well, this is just who I am and you've given up. And today you should say, no, that is not who I am because you have the heart of a warrior and you don't ever quit because God has made you to be more. The Bible says you are more than a conqueror. The Bible says that that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Men, you have the heart of a warrior. You are to go after the cause of God and Jesus Christ with everything you've got. You've got to get into the battle. So, Father, today, I thank you for these men. Lord, I love my brothers, and I pray today for the men of Eaglesview Church. Lord, you have blessed this church with great great men of God. Lord, you have created us to be more like you. You've created us to be warriors. Lord, I I pray that you would teach us to be more like the, the manliest man of all time. That's Jesus. Teach us, Lord, how to have his same kind of compassion and his same kind of kindness. Lord, teach us how to have also the same kind of righteous indignation against things that were wrong things that were destructive. God, may we be men who fight for things that are right. May we stand up for our wives and be strong, Lord. May we stand up for our children. May we take a stand for our church. Be the men that we're called to be. Lord, may we not leave feeling beaten down, but Lord, may we leave feeling challenged today and knowing, God, that you've called us to a great cause. Stir the warrior up within us, Lord, to fight. Lord, I know that there are some men who are here today, Lord, that are deeply hurting. There are families that are here that are deeply hurting. I thank you, Lord, for your tenderness and for your compassion as well. And I pray, Lord, that you would come in at this moment right now for whoever that may be in whatever situation they are facing 
Lord, that you come in like a flood and they experience you in all of your fullness and your presence, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for fighting for us. Thank you, Lord, for going to the cross and not yielding, Lord, to the pain, but dying to self and dying for us. Make us more like you, Jesus. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. All God's people said, amen. God bless you. We love you. Let's take up God's tithe and his offering as our ushers come forward. Pastor Randy has a few quick announcements for you. And uh, Pastor Randy.